I'm Chris Nessie, host of Behind the Mic, Voices of the EPN, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Mary Rubenthal. She is an architect who is an associate principal at HED. Oh, this is such a cool conversation. We're talking about designing schools that meet the needs of the students and communities. Oh, this is so cool. You're going to love this. Thanks for listening. And oh, by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, and left a review. Could you do that for me? You know, say some nice words and uh, maybe give me five stars. What do you think, huh? <laughs> That'd be so cool. You are awesome. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Mary Rupenthal is a registered architect and an associate principal at HED, one of the oldest and largest architecture and engineering firms in the country with 400-plus employees and annual revenues above $100 million. They serve clients nationwide in a broad range of market sectors, including healthcare, higher education, mission-critical, housing and mixed-use, pre-K through 12, science, manufacturing, and product development, workplace, community, and government. With nearly 30 years of experience in public and private sector educational, civic, and cultural design, Mary oversees pre-K through 12 and community education projects at HED and is a regular speaker at trade and industry events on the best practices of flexible and adaptive learning environments for tomorrow's pedagogical needs and the needs of tomorrow's workforce and incorporating wellness into educational space design. She has devoted her career to collaborating with school districts in the design of innovative, high-performing educational facilities that enhance the user experience, maximize efficiency, and help shape the future for students of all ages. Mary is a member of the American Institute of Architects, AIA, AIA Committee on the Environment, School Energy Coalition, Architecture for Learning Environments, A4LE, uh, where she is the board secretary from 2020 to now, This past year served on the NorCal chapter board as president-elect and is moving into the role of president in October. Designed Build Institute of America, U.S. Green Building Council, and the Coalition for Adequate Student Housing, where she regularly presents lectures on sustainable school design, case studies, and advocates for uh, evolving best practices in school design. Mary, thanks so much for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Good morning, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really happy to join you in this conversation. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Well, I appreciate you being here, and I, this is going to be a cool conversation. I, I've not talked to someone before who who helps design schools and looks at different ways they should they look at it. I, I can't wait to talk with you. So, uh, but before we go there, Mary, you're an architect. What? Why'd you pursue this, and what do you like most about the what you do in that world? Well, gosh, I guess I have my dad to thank. He was a, a contractor, and uh, growing up uh, at a young, very young age, every night after dinner, he would. Uh, and when the dinner table was cleared, he would roll out his drawings and look at what he was going to be doing the next day. And he'd let me sit and ask questions. And I was just very curious about what he was up to. And um, he was he was somebody who was just constantly kind of fixing things, building things. And he really um, he really kind of fostered an interest in, in how how things are come together and how to how to shape and create something. Um, so, um, gosh, I, I'm so grateful that um, that to be an architect, I love it. Um, I mean, there's there's various things we do every day. Some's more technical, some more bureaucratic. Um, but I just, I really love uh, being a part of really shaping environments and working with people to, to really create spaces that allow people to, to really succeed and thrive. That's cool. I, I have to say this because in part of my degree program, I took a graphics arts class, uh, graphic drawing class uh, we're using, and I hate to date myself with this, but we're not using CAD. We were using big drawing tables and, and pencils and drawing paper and all this sort of stuff. And there were a lot of architectural prospects in that, uh, um, that class. And one of the things I remember most about the students who were at the university doing uh, focus on architecture was that they spent a lot of time in those labs and and drawing labs and uh you know a lot of times you run into them in the same building because they're staying there late night trying to deal with whatever project they're working on um do you have to do that 
Absolutely. Yes. I spent many, many overnights. I can't tell you how many, <laughs> how many, uh, gosh, I think my record for, for staying up before a presentation for a project presentation was like 54 hours. Um, oh, yeah, we just, nice. it's, a, it's a labor of love though. You really, um, you kind of never feel like you're finished, but there is a point where you have to put your pen down and, <laughs> and, uh, it's an iterative process though. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I, spent a lot of sleepless nights though, but I, I wouldn't take any of it back. It's, it was really formative for me. That's and, cool. uh, That's even good. now it's like meeting deadlines is a, is a, is an important part of our project, <laughs> part of our job. Oh, oh, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. I, I just always remember that because my, my degree path, you know, cr cr crisscrossed with a couple different types of career fields and the architecture students was, it was like, uh, cause I was in there for, similar sorts of reasons, trying to complete some projects and do it right with the drawings and stuff like this. And so I got a lot of advice from some of the people who are there for late nights. <laughs> and that, I never forget that. So cool stuff. I, all right. So let's talk about trends in education buildings. I mean, you know, why not just have a building that is one large rectangle with multiple floors, like we're kind of typical in the 50s and 60s. Um, uh, a lot of them are left over. I'm sitting in one right now that uh, was built in somewhere between 53 and 58 and uh, his one big large rectangle, a lot of bricks and uh, um, an assortment of windows. Of course, they've redone it over parts of it over the years, but uh, why not just a big rectangle? What do you think about that? Well, you know, I, I think educational space comes in many shapes and sizes and it can be successful even if it is a, a big rectangle, but spaces that, that really um, allow for, you know, adaptation over time that allow for different types of uh, collaboration that allow, you know, large group and small group group learning areas, you know, kind of for retreat areas that, you know, are, are communal areas. So within a, you know, there's a lot of school buildings that are rectangles and some of them are wildly successful. I think it's um, kind of the thinking about how, what kinds of spaces really support, uh, positive educational outcomes and what kind of community can you create within that rectangle? I mean, I went to high school and um, I grew up in Wisconsin. And so, you know, I practice now in California where there's a lot of outdoor, uh, outdoor classroom type spaces where, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, we try to minimize condition space as well as capitalize on, you know, connections to the outdoors and outdoor learning. But in Wisconsin, you know, in, in areas of the country and, and the world where, um, you know, where weather, you know, kind of prevents that kind of, um, environment, you know, my high school, it had such a great, it was a big rectangle, but it had <laughs> such a great sense of community. I remember after school, um, you know, I was running, I'm a runner, I was running track and practicing for cross country and, and it was like, you know, 15 below outside. So we couldn't, it was inclement. We couldn't run outside, but after school, we were running through the hallways. We would run up to the wrestling room. We'd run down through the basketball where, you know, basketball players are practicing, cheerleaders are practicing. We'd run through the corridors, past the library where the debate club was practicing. I mean, we just saw the whole spectrum of like, you know, community within that one building. And um, it really, you know, it, it was a center of our community. There was, you know, PTA meetings happening, you know, it's, um, it really is, is, is how, how the school community and how, how can it serve the community basically. That's really cool. I had um, this long time ago when I was working on my dissertation, I had studied the history of the size of high schools from 1900 to 1980. And one of the things I ran into was a couple of federal focus uh, moments in time where the, f the federal government was focused on trying to reduce the number of schools that had less than 75 students in them. And it was amazing reading those reports, especially because many of those schools were built out of wood. And so they were trying to eliminate those, the, the schools made out of wood. And uh, because, because guess what else they had? They had wood, wood burning stoves in them, wood burning heating mm. elements. And so there were lots of potential fire problems that they had. And it was kind of an amazing thing. So this is kind of a, um, it, it's always been an interest of mine because that's what they were also doing in those days was they decided to, to, uh, um, if you eliminate those schools, well, then you got to bring them all together to go someplace. And so they con uh, consolidated between somewhere around the mid fifties to the eighties, um, all these schools. And so you have in lots of rural areas, you have probably the memory of what used to be the mascot of some small school and is painted on a water tower or something like this. But now they have to go like, you know, 30 miles away on a bus to go to the, the school that brought them all together. Well, in those time frames, they build them in these big, 
know, they started making these big brick buildings that were some general types, which is why you can go pretty much throughout the country and find certain ones that they may have no longer use it, but it's sitting there and it looks, Hey, that looks a lot like the one I saw in Florida a few weeks ago and whatever like that. And, and then they got out of that. And I thought that was, that was kind of interesting because I'm not sure uh, um, how imaginative those architects were about the space inside, but uh, you know, everything was kind of built the same way. And so that's why it's just cool to talk with you about this. Cause like this building I'm in now, one of the challenges I have is to figure out how to bring in somebody to help me redesign the way the space is inside. I wanted to be more about um, instructional training and stuff like that instead of like little spaces that are like just cubes in the, in the room and in the building and stuff. But all right. All right. So I'll stop babbling. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's really interesting. Steve. thanks for sharing. Yeah. Let me know if we can help you. <laughs> I will. But yeah, we work a lot with, you know, older, you know, older buildings that, you know, we're, we're trying to adapt to be, you know, to really serve kind of today's educational needs, which is, you know, a lot of flexibility, a lot of, you know, so, so working with the, within the constraints of these buildings, it's, you know, you know, how do you kind of create more connectivity? How do you, you know, say, you know, kind of break out a classroom and, and to create more openness to other kinds of spaces so that, you know, a student isn't, you know, doesn't have to be in the same room when, when there's different types of teaching and learning that needs to kind of happen. Um, so, uh, it is a, it is a fun challenge to work with some of these old buildings that were, um, you know, designed kind of very traditionally as this, you know, one classroom at the front of the room. I mean, conversely, we, I've worked on some really beautiful old, um, I was working on a building, an old brick classroom building that's over a hundred years old. And, wow. you know, it has just like these vaulty, you know, really high, really high ceilings, just tons of windows. And, you know, um, and then you saw in the seventies where, uh, the idea of, of educational environments was a little bit like, let's not open to the outdoors. We don't want the distraction. So when we deal with buildings in the seventies, it's like a common theme that there's, you know, kind of, you know, you don't have any view to the outdoors and, nice. and how do you, how do you start to bring more daylight in and, and, uh, and just the awareness that, you know, it doesn't pull focus for a student to be able to look outside and get kind of a visual break and have a connection to nature. It's actually more beneficial and studies are kind of showing that. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, just the evolution of, uh, of uh, educational architecture. And yeah, my mom went to school. She grew up in rural North, Northern Wisconsin. And um, she was from a very rural community where they had a literally a one room schoolhouse, like the traditional one room schoolhouse. So she was in a class with, you know, everyone from the community and they didn't split it up by age group. And, you know, she, she talks about her education and it was like, you know, the, the older students were mentoring the young students. So the teacher actually had that help. Interesting. <laughs> um, it sounded like a really, really kind of interesting experience for her to go, to go to school with that kind of, uh, kind of cross section. Yeah, that's cool. Students. That's very cool. Cause you would talk about getting to know people. I, I went to a school where my senior class was 578 kids and at graduation, I'm sitting next to kids you know, cause we're alphabetical and you're going, we went to school together. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's as opposed to one room schoolhouse, boy, you'd really get to know <laughs> who your classmates were and stuff like that. Um, that's, that's cool stuff. Yeah. It, it's something else, how it's kind of, it's progressed as areas have become, have grown and, uh, you know, the suburbia has reached into the rural areas and, and, uh, you know, or ruralness has, you know, kind of, in some cases, kind of disappearing because the the sprawl that's happened from some of the urban areas. But, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, I've worked as a teacher and administrator in many buildings of various ages. I mean, what's something that you take into consideration today when thinking about student needs? I think the idea of, of strengthening community, you know, creating a safe and inclusive environment is really key. I mean, we have so many lessons learned from the last three years. Um, and, you know, we, uh, thankfully kind of health and wellness, um, have come to the forefront as well as, as the idea of, of what is, you know, how do you promote kind of a safe, inclusive environment? And there's theories of, of the idea of, of small learning communities where, um, even if you have a large student population, um, how do you kind of break up and plan a, a campus so that you have smaller learning communities of, um, you know, the idea is that a number of over, you know, within 250 students, uh, people can still, you know, anything kind of larger than that, you kind of start losing track of people. So 
Um, a lot of districts are kind of implementing the idea of a small learning community within their campuses to kind of create these smaller communities. So you don't have people kind of falling through the cracks where you have the ability to kind of really know everyone and kind of, you know, um, eliminate that kind of feeling of alienation. And then in campus planning, you know, how do we, how do we enforce those communities and communal kinds of spaces and and different types of spaces and really design for, you know, inclusion, um, creating, uh, community centers within the school campus is, is a wonderful idea that a lot of districts are embracing. We're working with a district that, um, was able to get kind of bond funding for what they call family centers. So at the front of the school, um, there's kind of the front entrance administrative building and then connected to it immediately adjacent and they're interconnected internally as well. Um, but there's a separate kind of family center that really helps to provide services for families where to, you know, where to get help with food, where to get legal help, where to get, um, you know, English, you know, as a second language kind of training and support. So, you know, it's, it's really kind of connected to, to the school and it's really serving, serving the community and, you know, spaces at schools that really, I mean, the, the most successful school campuses are those really that do function as kind of a center of community that have amenities for, um, there's a school in San Jose that actually, um, they, they use a, gosh, what is it called? Uh, they use a program to help uh, folks in the community find space that they might need for, let's say you're having a wedding reception um, and they have a, you know, a, a, a space, a wonderful space that could be rented by the community. So I think it's called Facilitron um, and it really helps to, to allow the, the community really to utilize, <laughs> utilize school resources. And it actually puts funding back into the, into the school as well as, you know, you know, provides a really dynamic, engaging as a campus environment. There's a lot of our schools that are functioning, you know, 18 hours a day and, you know, they have after school performances, you know, after school sporting events, after school training. Um, you know, I think um, just the idea of, of how do you really serve, serve community and provide, you know, inclusion, health and wellness, uh, support, um, really allowing the entire community to kind of thrive and student population and, and the staff. That's, that's cool. Cause that's, you know, I think it's one of the things that a lot of, if they don't have kids in school, um, they, they may not, especially a high school, they may not real realize just how often the building is used seven days a week <laughs> and into the night. Um, and you know, it, it, and, Oftentimes it might be community groups, or it may just be that you have those different organizations that are, are using parts of the facility for doing whatever. And especially if you're in the North in the winter months where you might have to um, do certain things where you're, you're locked into the building too. That, that would be another thing that I, it just, it's just interesting all the different types of needs that happen there. I had this discussion one time when uh, the one of the systems I had worked with had, uh, they'd hired a HV, uh, someone who was supposed to kind of chill out the use of our HVA systems, you know, and HVAC systems. And, uh, they, uh, um, you know, trying, it, it was all about efficiency of electric electrical use and stuff like this. Well, he was trying to shut down the, <laughs> the systems on the weekend and we're like, what? You know, I had to call him up because he had done all that and he had the button. You could no longer restart anything or anything from the school. They put an electronic control system and you had to talk to this man. And I called him up and I said, uh, we have about 175 cheerleaders here in this building this weekend. And they're all here <laughs> to do this activity. And uh, you've shut the air conditioning off on them. And he's like, well, you know, it's a weekend. And I said, yeah. And that kind of made that system have a talk with its principals and its, <laughs> its efficiency experts. But that's a whole nother discussion for another time. <laughs> that, was, that was a fun talk, by the way, that day. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, no, you need to turn it back on. <laughs> Please, now. You know, it's like, um, yeah, that's interesting that he was kind of the master controller. A lot of, um, actually, the district I was just talking about uses a system that um, allows, and more and more this is happening, the energy management system is something that you can, you know, kind of pick up your phone and uh, see, you know, see what's happening in each classroom. And nice. um, it, so that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, those are in the early days of that type of stuff. And so they put all it in the hands of this one person who then he made, you had to, 
the, it had been approved. All right, let's put it that way. You had to submit an <laughs> approval form about it. It had been approved, but he just he saw that it was working and shut it down. <laughs> it's like it's like no 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 no. I was that was a very hot gem and uh, in the areas that I acquired it until we got it back turned back on, but all all worked out. Uh, so, so let's. Uh, so I read a recent article by you that appeared in School Construction News. Three school building trends that are setting the curve. The three trends are, one, schools as community hubs, which you've kind of talked about a little bit. Uh, two, wellness at the forefront. And, uh, and uh, the last one, expanding CTE programs. Could you share a little bit about each of these trends? I mean, what's behind them? Yes, schools as I spoke a little bit about schools as community hubs earlier, but doing a deeper dive into it. Um, you know, we understand that schools have the ability to um, either reinforce socioeconomic um, uh, differences or to to kind of help disperse and create a little bit more equity. And I guess a couple of examples of, you know, schools as community hubs. When, when I talk about um, community, it's like, how do you, how do you create a healthy, positive school campus community? And um, things like, you know, a lot of districts offer subsidized lunch and, um, and oftentimes there's a different location. Those students that get subsidized lunch need to get their lunch and other students can go off campus. So you really kind of see, uh, see that disparity. Um, a lot of districts, uh, are taking a step to kind of eliminate that by, you know, creating one centralized, um, you know, student union space that really is fosters an inclusive environment as well as things like, um, uh, you know, creating a, a card, that gets loaded. If you're subsidized, it gets loaded that way. If you're not subsidized, it gets still gets loaded. Everyone has the same kind of card and, um, encouraging everyone. So, so you don't see that disparity. So that's just kind of a, kind of a functional thing, but it makes a huge amount of difference because you're not separating where students need to go. Um, things like offering support on campuses. There's a district that we work with that, um, that has a store. It's, it looks, I mean, it's not a store. It's like a student parent resource center, um, a little space in the student union where um, students, and it, it is, I say a store because it looks like a really wonderful little retail environment. It's probably 700 square feet, but you know, you walk in, a parent can walk in, a student can walk in, there's clothes hung up. If they need a sweater, if they're cold, if they, there's granola bars, there's water. So if, if you need anything, that's where, that's where they go. Um, and so it doesn't, you know, I guess prior to this project, um, there was like a little room that was like, you know, look, it, it looked like it, it, <laughs> it didn't feel like welcoming and it didn't, and it kind of had that, you know, now gotcha, they've kind yeah. of changed it so that it's not, the stigma is gone, you know, and people can go there. Um, and it, and it's kind of just the way that you think about space and how you shape the space to, to, to either make you feel good or make you feel, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to put into words, but I guess, you know, we all, I think are cognizant of the fact that, um, you know, spaces that you've been into, if you think about it, um, that make you feel, you know, welcome, that make you feel included, that make you feel like a part of the community. And that's something that we really put a lot of thought into really kind of how we engineer positive outcomes, um, in this building also, um, you know, uh, the, the teacher's admin is, is, the, is at the back of the building, um, but the teachers walk through the student union space all the time. So there's all this opportunity uh, for, for teachers to encounter students throughout the course of a day, not just in the classroom. So as the students are studying in that library, is connected to the, you know, it's like part library, part student union. Um, so yeah, it's the teachers are passing through there all the time. So there's all this kind of, um, you know, informal engagement with, with the students as well as, um, in that building, it's, I've never, you know, this is like something pretty unique that I, that I, that I was really surprised by, but it's like wildly successful in that library space. There is um, a little room that has uh, like four copy machines and just reams of paper. That's where teachers are going to print things and that's open to students as well. So you also have, you know, this work room that is uh, kind of open to both students and teachers. So it kind of blurs that line, you know, and a lot of those kind of, again, interactions with students and teachers, you know, it's a, a little bit more, more personalized environment. So this is a district that is um, really, um, really focused on building community. And these are examples that we kind of look at is like, how can you engineer those positive outcomes? And then wellness, I spoke a little, a little bit about before is, is I think, you know, 
the plus side of the pandemic was really bringing bringing health and wellness and, and mental health to the forefront. Um, and something that, you know, we also are cognizant of is, is the fact that, you know, connections to nature, just, you know, during COVID, you know, <laughs> uh, campuses that really thrived were ones that had kind of were built and set up to have like the ability to have outdoor teaching. Um, you know, so when we design, designing kind of deep overhangs, especially in California where there's a need for shade. So, you know, you don't necessarily have all, you need to have all these kind of separate shade structures, but how can the building architecture, um, you know, how can you have deep overhangs that allow a, a class to, to quickly move outdoors or just, ease, you know, nimbly move outdoors and um, just the idea of, of like what nature and the ability to be outdoors and connections to nature really does. There's a ton of uh, research that really proves um, that, you know, connections to nature, sounds of nature, um, you know, natural daylighting, they, they really help performance and it's not just academic performance. They improve attendance, um, you know, uh, and, and increase positive outcomes. So you have, you know, more teachers and students who are happy to be in, in this school environment. And that's, you know, that's what helps people to thrive too is one, you want, you want to create a space that people want to be. And, um, and these really are second homes. I mean, these spaces, <laughs> uh, school communities are second homes. So how do we, when we design, we kind of look at it, you know, from that lens is how do you, how do you make it a space that people, you know, want to be in? Um, and so that's really, a, you know, again, putting wellness at the forefront um, in, in our process. And then expanding CTE programs, um, we understand that students who are involved in CTE um, and, and kinds of, you know, classes like you spoke about drafting class and um, you know, it, it was kind of a generational thing. I mean, I, you know, when I went to school, we had woodworking, we had metal shop, we had drafting and we had sewing and we had home ec. And these were all classes that both boys and girls uh, equally needed to take. They were like, you know, but they were like classes that were so important because we were making and learning how to do. And I learned how to make an omelet <laughs> when I was in, in these, you know, in these I classes and I, I, you know, make an omelet at least once a week. And like, nice, nice. I always think about like, um, uh, you know, just, just, uh, so think, you know, thankfully I think this trend of like CTE and, you know, there was a time when we were like converting automotive classrooms to like, you know, and, and the need kind of follows, but like biotech and, um, and that's, that's CTE as well, but, um, you know, uh, career technical education, especially when there's like partnerships with, um, with, you know, organizations that can really offer, offer, you know, further career technical, but having the, having the ability to have these on campus is really important because these are, these are types of programs that really do, um, really prepare students for, kind of their life after high school, whatever that looks like, but it allows all of us opportunity to really explore careers. So, um, you know, students who are more successful after graduation often um, have have been involved with CTE programs. And, and it's wonderful when, you know, communities look at what, what the need is around the community just to really kind of establish those programs. In Sacramento, we have a lot of, um, you know, ag agriculture and farm to fork. Um, so there's like a lot of culinary uh, kinds of training and it's wonderful when you can have a, a school garden on campus that actually, you know, provides the food that's being prepared. And so you have this, this real synchronicity with, with both, you know, with teaching and learning and really just, um, doing, um, so I think, um, I think all of these, these concepts are, are trends that are, um, that hopefully, you know, just kind of remain embedded in the DNA of, of school development because they're kind of really important concepts. Oh, it's so cool. And it's so, so important. I mean, it's like, you know, one of the things that, uh, um, I, you know, there's a period of time where everything was starting to be, uh, replaced and reduced in the CTE, in the CTE programs. And, and, uh, they were doing other things and using the space for different things. For example, like lots of the welding programs were replaced and welding is so important in our society. And, and you see the opposite happening now with them coming back and re recreating the spaces for those and, um, automotive the same way where a lot of those spaces had been, not that there's anything wrong with what they put in those spaces, but at the same time, it's like you did away with automotive and that's a whole nother area. If nothing else, you know, you don't have to, some, some of the kids Oh my gosh! Went on to open their own car shops. Went on to own, you know, um, be mechanics. Went on. Uh, we sent some to uh, a couple that became NASCAR type uh, mechanics. 
and uh, things like this, and just a whole career fields. But then we also had kids who took it and just were very good at changing tires and spark plugs and things like that. And I know we're going into a new world with all kinds of other stuff, but who knows what the new automotive shops might look like. But the I think it's it's so important to have all those different types of programs. There's so many, the cooking and the, I mean, there's just so many of them that uh, um, just pay off for the kids to have access to. And it's uh, just a neat aspect of our, our world. And I hate the fact that there's, sometimes there's these pressures to, to eliminate the programs. And so it's nice that we're in that rebuilding of all of them and, and actually being creative and seeing how many we can, we can make happen. I, I tried very hard as a principal. I was trying to find a teacher and I finally found the teacher and then we started finding the equipment and then we ran into all these rules in the state. Um, not that there's nothing wrong with those rules. I understand the rules, but I was trying to have fish farming going on and, I mean. uh, and I had run into a, uh, a person in the state who, uh, he, he was helping me. We got a grant to restart our, it was an urban school in an urban setting. And there was an gr- old greenhouse. It was one of those cool glass greenhouses that they don't make anymore. And, or they're very expensive to have made for you. And, um, and, and inside were just a lot of weeds growing <laughs> and got the right teacher, got a grant and got that reopened. And that same teacher then was interested in hearing my crazy idea about the fish. Then we found out that the problem with selling fish, Doing the fish was that there's all these rules about selling food and uh, or growing animals for food. And uh, um, a colleague that I ran into, he told me, he said, well, the way I solve it is at the end of the season, we just have a big fish fry. <laughs> I said, that makes sense. <laughs> but uh, that, that, I, there's just so many possibilities out there. I, I've seen schools that raise chickens and uh, sell them to the community and uh, – such like that. And it's just a funny thing to go there when the chicks are being born and the kids are watching that process happen and, and all of that. And there's so many cool aspects of uh, these different classes that really pay off, especially when you bring them to areas that long ago, the farms have left and gone other places and uh, they've not experienced what it's like. So good stuff. I think it's so cool that you're working on, you know, helping develop these types of, uh, of setups for the buildings and such. I, you know, one of the things that I've, I've heard you talk about is the need for resilient, sustainably designed schools. Could you explain what this means? Sure. Um, gosh, the importance of, of a school to be, to be resilient and sustainable is, and so I guess I'll <laughs> launch into that. Um, so, you know, as human beings, we, we need to be resilient to, to kind of go through life and our, our educational environments also need to be thoughtfully designed, especially, you know, we, we're looking at, you know, climate change and we're, uh, as an architect, I'm keenly aware of the, you know, the impact that buildings have on, on the environment. So things like decarbonization and energy conservation have been something, you know, things that are all of our responsibility to, to really, to, to be mindful of and to be very rigorous and kind of protecting our, our resources. So when we design Buildings, um, when we talk about sustainable, we're talking about, you know, first uh, starting with like passive design. How do you site the building so that, you know, it's optimally uh, positioned to, to, to reduce energy consumption on the front end? That's like <laughs> step number one. And then everything that we put into the building is, you know, how do we uh, design the system so that they're going to be as, you know, efficient, uh, reduce energy costs as much as possible, um, other sustainable concepts or things like, um, you know, natural daylighting is, is huge. Uh, but there's a difference between, you know, abundant daylighting and excellent daylighting. You can have a classroom that is super well lit, but that's meaning that glare is coming in from, you know, any Eastern or Western exposure at a horrible time of day and, and shining on the teaching wall and no one can see. I mean, um, so we really study as we're designing buildings, really study, um, all of this and, you know, we do energy modeling, so, you know, uh, a building is biological, you know, just like we are. So how do you create a, a building's, you know, systems, there's respiratory, the HVAC system, there's bones of the structure. How do you design it? So all of it is, um, is, um, you know, and, and how, and how can it have, have harmony just in the fact of the art and, and what, what the spaces are, are doing to really reinforce positive educational outcomes. So sustainability is, is, uh, just the concept of, you know, building responsibly, building, um, you know, not just in the building itself, to sustain positive outcomes, basically. Um, And, you know, resilience, I think, you know, 
certainly in the last couple of years we've <laughs> we've seen and, and with wild you know wildfires too it's like we've you know how how do these school communities not only become like you know centers of community but how do they how do they support a community in these in these times when uh, when the school can become in a worst case scenario kind of a disaster you know relief area so um, a lot of our schools even if we don't have locker rooms um, you know we we provide you know uh, infrastructure for to allow for the ability to shower so if 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 these school spaces need to be kind of centers of community and in, in an event of a disaster um, you know certainly resilience is something in California that you know with with regards to seismic, we, you know, we look at, um, you know, how can it withstand earthquakes? Uh, obviously that's just part of the building code, but throughout the country, you know, there's, you know, tornadoes and hurricanes and, and, you know, really just designing, um, with an eye towards, uh, towards schools being able to kind of provide, um, you know, be a hub and support a community in the event of, of, you know, of, of, of bad situation. And then, you know, another idea or another point about resilience is that we have been talking a little bit about flexibility um, for a school to be resilient also means that it is designed so that um, it can be adaptable to changing needs in the future. So, um, you know, uh, you know, creating a, a, a building that will allow for change is something that we that we think of, um, you know, how and how do we kind of designed for, you know, flexibility in the future. Um, so there's, there's a concept called the open building concept that um, talks about, you know, when you're designing, how do you uh, ensure that in the future if infrastructure needs to be changed, it can be, do, be done, you know, as fluidly as possible. Uh, designing a building so the structural system is an impediment. So you don't, you know, like the more, you know, CMU walls or like shear walls that you have, you know, obviously we have, we're always balancing the building code, but how do you create buildings um, that can be adapt, you know, more easily adaptable in the future, um, just as a long range plan, knowing that education um, and, you know, programs require, require change, just like people. I think the idea of resilience being something that, um, that can allow for adaptability over time is, is pretty important. Oh, that's cool. And it really makes you think about a lot of different things, especially if, if you are of the age where you've gone through, you know, not only work on schools or designing brand new schools, but if you know, and you've been in some other schools and, and seen how, you know, in, you know, not so distant past, many of the schools that were designed were of certain types that were, you know, basically big buildings with certain size rooms throughout them. And, you know, today, the way, I don't know how all states work, but like the state of Georgia um, funds to a certain level from the state um, buildings that have certain size rooms and you build that capacity and such. And uh, the communities have to come up with additional funds if they want to do something a little more outside the box type thing. And it's it's just fascinating to me because, you know, as a kid, you may not think much about this. Um, but then as an adult who works in schools, you start looking, you start thinking, what if, you know, one time I brought a bunch of teachers together and I said, uh, I said, if you could start over in this building and they gutted the whole building and all you had were these classrooms um, the, the space that a classroom was going to go in, what would you put in that space and how would you make it look? How would you, how would you do it? Because they didn't ask you in the beginning. <laughs> now I'm asking you. And it's, it's interesting to hear what teachers say. And, you know, first of all, many of them never thought about it that way. They just get what they get and they figure it out from there um, and make it their own. But uh, to be able to think and to design, that's what it's, I, I'm envious of what you do. It's cool. Cause that's a, uh, that's a neat aspect to be able to think about how the space will be used and what the potentials are for it and how could you make it flexible so it could be, um, you know, adjusted to uh, to do something different down the road as, you know, you know, they found the right program or got a different teacher in there, decided. I had a colleague who, that I, when I was a teacher, uh, he got rid of all his desks and he brought in all these reclining chairs. <laughs> And, and, a wow. couple, and a sofa and and uh, and uh, a couple of uh, low lying tables, um, so you could kind of you could sit on the floor and just scooch up to them, so they weren't um, 
well, actually how they were low lying was he cut the legs off of them, but then <laughs> made little stubs on them. But, you know, it was one of those things that uh, it was the coolest thing. It, it allowed for that. And, you know, I know I'm getting into furniture now, but the building, the, the room itself, he had to pull some things out of the room that had been put in that really took up space as opposed to helping. You kind of uh, um, mentioned some of that, uh, you know, kind of the way they used to build uh, some of the build, the, the classrooms where they always had something at the front so the teacher would stand on the other side of that thing and it really wasn't movable and cabinets and things like there's all kinds of interesting things like that but uh, good stuff i all right so one of the things i wanted to ask you about is that you know you talk about wellness so what are some of the designs from the past that could cause issues with the wellness of today's students and teachers what do you think i think you, you touched upon it a little bit it's just you know spaces that um only allow for kind of one type of learning um, you know, that's very prescriptive. I mean, and, and you mentioned furniture, which is really important, Steve. Um, furniture can, can do wonders to, to both, you know, to facilitate different types of, of learning. Um, you know, having a space that, uh, you know, designing a classroom so that there's not really one central teaching wall. Um, every wall could be, become a teaching wall or the corner if, you know, students are, are doing, you know, project-based learning and um, they're, you know, it allows like how can this the classroom support or how can the space support different types of learning? So furniture that's flexible, just, just the idea that you're not just sitting there like when I was in high school in some classes, just, you know, it was lecture-based teaching. You know, a lot of it was, most of it was. And, um, um, but, you know, uh, there's a lot more collaboration happening in teaching now with project-based learning and um, just the idea that a, that a classroom can be kind of set up more universally. Um, so, you know, we're, like you said, uh, instead of having one kind of teacher space, you know, we used to have kind of a fixed space where the teacher was allowing that to be a little bit more open-ended. You know, we have wireless has helped a lot, you know, these multiple teaching walls, um, you know, spaces that just can be more dynamic. And I think, I think on school campuses, um, what often happens is Older, older buildings <laughs> often were designed so that, you know, each room had a, had a particular kind of function. So um, even like a performing arts theater, we're working with this district that um, uh, is really was rethinking the idea of their performing arts um, and, and really wanted to avoid spaces. Like, you know, it's our responsibility to, to maximize funding resources. So we never really want to design a space that, is only is only going to be used part of the day, right? You want number one, it results in kind of a stagnant environment. You have a room right. that's sitting empty a lot of the time. Um, the more you know, uh, thriving school communities are those that like, you know, it's just dynamic. Every space is kind of like being used for something, and so the spaces that can be used for multiple things are wonderful because they're not just for this, and that only happens two periods a day. Um, so, like the performing arts theater. Um, with a fixed stage and seating, there was a, a kind of awareness that, you know, gosh, this building, um, and it's, it was at the middle of the campus, it was built in the 70s, um, you know, so it had no windows like we were talking about. The only, right. it was used mostly for the students throughout the course of the day, for like to sit in the underhand, like to sit in the shade around the building. So students were collecting around it, but the building isn't open most of the time because performances aren't happening very often. They were like, we only really have performances like four times a year. So we're doing a new theater. And unfortunately, we could not, uh, you know, adapt this building because it, it had, you know, too many. It would have been more costly to renovate it. And that's unfortunate because we always want to kind of breathe new life into existing structures when we can. Um, but in this instance, you know, uh, you know, this, the seismic issues were prohibitive. Um, they also found like, you know, some some dry rot issues. So it was even, it was going to be more of like a wormhole to go, you know, like what else are we going to find? So, right. so in rethinking, we have the opportunity to rethink this theater space and really create a space that is, is not going to be a closed box most of the time that people are just sort of, you know, sitting in the, sitting around to get shade. Uh, so rethinking the theater concept, um, this building is not going to have the fixed seating. Um, it's going to have retractable, um, you know, retractable seating basically for 300. Uh, but it's a space that doesn't have a, an elevated stage. Actually, the stage is, is actually an area that is off of, um, it's like a performing arts building and visual arts. So there's 
classrooms off of the stage per se (laughs) that, um, that when you're sitting, you know, let's say you're sitting in the fixed in the seating, that's not fixed, but you're sitting there for a performance. You're looking through the proscenium and you're seeing kind of the glass classrooms behind, you know, that can be screened off when there's a performance. Um, but then, you know, you don't have a stage that's not used 99% of the time. And so, um, you know, just not having an elevated stage as well, you know, it was just kind of really rethinking it. Our theater consultant, his mind was getting blown constantly. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And all of us were, you know, but but this building is going to be um, something that's used by, stu- by students and the community um, all the time. It can be used for large gatherings. They can have TED Talks in there. They can close it. Um, but, you know, then it's also used for display um, for, you know, it's it's like a, Basically, the idea is that it's like a 24-hour a um, talent show, basically. The building is, is like becomes a canvas for what the students um, want to perform, for what they want to, you know, post in their gallery space. It can be performing arts. It can be rented for wedding receptions or by a comedy, a local comedy troupe to be a comedy show. Um, so it, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's just a, Going back to the initial question, Steve, the, some of the issues with schools in the past are those that are designed, you know, for with spaces, you know, kind of solely being one kind of function rather than allowing a little bit more dynamic use of it, um, of the building. And, you know, that helps us too to right size campuses because we're not building as much. We're building spaces that are, you know, they're being required to flex, right? And that's actually more beneficial for the school community, more beneficial financially for districts is, and it's a healthier academic environment when you don't have these spaces that are like dead a lot of the time. Makes so so much sense. I mean, cause you know, the traditional sense, uh, like a, a junior high that I went to um, when I was in seventh, seventh grade um, had the traditional sort of auditorium, which at one end was the stage and you had this huge, all these rows that went way back into the back and you know, you really, it really didn't function well as it, although I had a health class in there <laughs> um, as well as uh, you got to see theater and then all the other things, but the health class was in there and it, you know, I took a little, a little dinky space, but to, to build instead a theater um, box or kind of go with the, like the black box theater sort of concept where it's a big box and you can, Manipulate the space like that is so awesome because that means that uh, space can be used for many things. I think that's awesome. I think that's incredible. I, the, uh, uh, it's just there's so many things about buildings that I think if you can figure out how to make it flexible like that, that that's that's so important. Good stuff. I, all right. So something I also read that you, you talked about is connecting with nature, and, and we've talked a little bit about this. What's what's one of the big things right there when you talk about connection with nature that you like to think about or focus on or maybe try and do for gosh the i think uh sorry i'm sorry know? for the school is what i started to say um well knowing how beneficial you know there's a term called biophilia which is really like uh, a love of nature and then everyone has a kind of inherent connection to nature all of us understand the benefits uh, if you think about imagine steve you're sitting on a beach right now just watching the ocean you can envision you know envision what that sounds like like just by picturing it um your (laughs) your biological system is getting benefits because um it's kind of instantly calming and instantly reduces blood pressure um so knowing knowing that uh nature and and the connections of nature is so important to our physiological functioning when we are building um, we are thinking about that constantly in terms of in designing um, how to how to infuse nature in the environment, both both by views and connection, like a physical connection. But you know, building a campus environment that you know um, that that is connected with nature, having you know really wonderful outdoor learning spaces that have shade and um, as much as you can introduce in the curriculum, that would be wonderful too. But you know, things like materiality, things just like color and materials, you know, how do you, how do we, you know, include patterns of nature in our architectural design? Um, how do we incorporate local materials to things that just really, you know, kind of ground, um, you know, all of these details, uh, bring nature inside 
Um, and, you know, other concepts of nature, like the fact that, um, you know, like views, um, you know, just kind of understanding where you are in the space. Um, that's, that's how we, when, when we're, let's say you're hiking, you know, having, having an outlook is really important. So, you know, building campus communities that provide opportunities for outlook, opportunities for retreat, you know, areas that are, um, you know, spaces that are kind of smaller, quieter spaces. And, for, and the idea of furniture comes into play here too, in terms of like, you know, air, different types of seating areas, you know, just the kinds of things, um, and what kind of materials and patterns, um, lighting, you know, lighting that is not just, um, you know, a bunch of fluorescent lights, but actually just lighting that has, uh, really positive color temperature lighting that has, that has the ability to, to, to create different types of spaces. So, I mean, we look, you know, just, uh, principles of nature, um, are, you know, are, you know, everything, just the geometry of nature and, and how wonderful it is. You know, I think it really like infusing it in the spirit of everything that we do and bringing kind of nature in as many ways as we can is, um, is, is just, uh, we understand that the empirical research, uh, you know, really proves that um, these kinds of spaces are beneficial, um, spaces that people want to be, um, they're spaces that people thrive in, they're spaces that um, people um, form well in academically, but also, you know, you know thrive in um, from a, you know, uh, mental health kind of standpoint. It, it's it's so awesome that to take into consideration this type of stuff. Cause it's, you know, it's, I, you know, I've been in schools, whether old or new that, uh, that block out the world. And then I've been in others old or new that actually bring a whole world into you because you get a wall of, of windows or you've got uh, something that they are actually thought about something you mentioned before, which is the way the light comes into the building at certain times of the day and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and, you know, just being able, sometimes I think just being able to, have be able to see trees <laughs> or bushes or or something that uh, or or a space where it's actually a you know an outdoor classroom area or something that's just incredible like that to be able to to escape out of the building and to to know that there is an outside uh, you know it's it's just something else to be be able to think about stuff like that I love that that to, you know just trying to think about how that could be designed into the building um, uh, space so important uh, you know one of the th- things I got to ask you, because you do presentations, you talk with people. Um, if you had the chance to talk to an audience of school board chairs and superintendents, so notice who I've got here. This is a group of the people who make the decisions about the spending of money, right? Um, what would you want to tell them to take in consideration when looking at redesigning a school, like you're pitching a, a school concept to them about the, you know, like you, you're talking about it, like with nature and um, uh, the, the resiliency and talking about the being a community hub and uh, expanding the CTE programs. I mean, what, what type of, what type of thing would you, would be the first foremost thing that you'd want to put in that presentation to talk with them? The idea of putting value in buildings and of, of valuing, you know, valuing it. Certainly there's always economic factors that we're ba- trying to balance. We try to do the most with the least amount of money, but um, for uh, everyone understands kind of the fact that, uh, First, we shape our buildings, and thereafter, they shape us. So, um, and that's a, a Winston Churchill quote that I love because nice. it's so true. Um, I, I guess the idea that um, you know students aren't—you know—students are so smart; they can see the value that you're placing in them and the types of educational environments that's being provided for them. Um, one of you know, and 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 I guess to design spaces, you know, look at where students want to hang out when they're not in school. <laughs> what kinds of spaces are those? Um, and so, yeah, students aren't stupid. They, they, they understand that. Um, so I was where I want to tell the story. I was working on a project in East LA. It was a, a replacement classroom building um, and a replacement performing arts building. Uh, they're these these both were burned down by a rival gang in, in East LA. Um, so, you know, this is a three-story uh, classroom building and an auditorium uh, performing arts building for the community. And um, school district is at Los Angeles Unified School District, who, who really I 
love working with. They're very innovative. They do value and, and illustrate the value of education and their students um, in their communities. And so um, when this building was, you know, as it was shaping and, and when it like, as the students were starting to see, like this is a building that had like, you know, really durable materials, but also was very, you know, very uh, dynamic and, and had all, of, you know, just, it was, you know, it was very student centered environment, but very quality materials and just beautiful. It was really just all about them and, and, and serving the students to see and hear them say, and they were like, gosh, this is like a, this is like a college environment. And they were like, and they, I, I heard them multiple times, like, this is for us. Like you could just see the sense of wonder as it was, I mean, and yes, it is for you. <laughs> this is, this is how important you and your education are. And um, one of the, another cool aspect of that, of that project is we, we had a local art component um, or we, we had some art pieces that, um, we found some local artists. One was was the graphics on the performing arts building that a, a local artist did uh, this amazing photography of, of dancers in motion, and it, it became signage on the building. And then this other piece is um, was dedicated to Jaime Escalante, who was a teacher, an amazing uh, teacher who actually taught there. It was Garfield's uh, High School in, in East LA, and it was this really amazing piece that was on the side of the classroom building that. Nice. Um, you know, just talked about the impact he had on students there. And um, it was just, it was such an amazing project, but I think that's what I would tell, you know, tell, and I, you know, school, school remember superintendents um, when redesigning your schools. Um, it's the value that you put in education is, is representative of the kinds of environments that we provide. And, you know, I, we work with districts of all t- types and, and we, we always have financial constraints and we're always maximizing what we can do with that, um, you know, how do we solve, um, you know, a number of challenges in one graceful solution, um, you know, but um, it's wonderful when we can get beyond kind of just the idea of like warm, safe and dry as a concept of what a school environment needs to some of these other concepts of, of what really helps students thrive and to really illustrate, um, illustrate, illustrate that in the environment so that they really can, uh, can not, you know, not only uh, like really thrive, really thrive. How do you provide an educational environment that, that really empowers students to learn? I mean, our educational environments are a reflection of, you know, how do we, and how do we embed that like interest in learning? So um, we try to create um, like turn the classroom into a three, you know, like a three te- a 3D teaching tool um, um, and, you know, kind of really engage students in, in, uh, in the buildings. One of my favorite projects was a, um, involved like a, a, a bus drop off at the front of the school that actually was a functioning, um, sundial. So they could, you know, as if their parents were picking them up, they could see what time it was just by reading the sundial in front of them, <laughs> you know, just, you know, how do we, uh, embed learning in the educational environment as well? I guess those are a lot of, a lot of requests or, or, or uh, calls to action. I, I think as um, we love working, I mean, I love engaging with our school district clients every day and just collaborating with them to, to really see how we can meet their goals and, and exceed their goals. And, um, you know, just, you know, really provide these environments that, that uh, ensure, ensure and optimize success. That's, it's so cool. Cause you know, you think about it's, um, yeah, you know, you're calling upon people to to let their imaginations think about what would be a good space to have for kids, and you know, still protect, be protective, but be able to engender the idea of uh, how they think and in their imagination and creativity and being able to do the different things that they are able to during the day. and And I think it's cool to be able to have those discussions with with um, the, the people who make those decisions. Which is uh, you know because as opposed to be building a big rectangle with <laughs> no windows or little bitty windows that go across the top or something like that, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's that's one of your favorite designs. But <laughs> anyway, well, the sense of pride. I mean, I, I think you know what's interesting is like when you design, you know, when when you put value in the, the environments, the sense of pride that comes from from students and the sense of ownership they take because there were there were folks in the community that were like, don't we were doing we were using this channel glass material that. Um, um, is really interesting and, um, and beautiful in the science lab. So you have this like muted daylight coming in beautifully cool. daylight space, but it's kind of muted. And, 
um, you know, people were saying, gosh, every, you know, they're going to, this is going to get vandalized. And, you know, it's like, no, the more, you know, when you show the value that, uh, that you're putting in that, in students' educational environments, uh, the sense of pride and ownership is huge. And so it, it's kind of, it goes the opposite. If you, you know, create a, a, a building, bare bones building, and it has like, you know, I mean, you know, students don't really have the same sense of pride in it. And those are, you know, I mean, we see it every day. Those are um, dilapidated schools that aren't really well taken care of our, are, um, you know, have, sometimes have issues like that, like with graffiti and stuff like that. Um, gotcha. And, you know, it's, it's something else. This is really cool talking with you, Mary. I, um, Mary, before we finish up, because we're getting close, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and or learn more, where would you send them? Um, well, our website, HED Design, um, is a wonderful starting point. Um, you can see some of our project work, uh, learn more about, um, about, about us, um, our commitment to um, justice, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, I'm on the website and in leadership, um, and my contact information is there, but I'll also share it now. Um, you can call, uh, send me an email. My email address is mrupenthal, it's M-R-U-P-P-E-N-T-H-A-L at H-E-D dot design. Um, yeah, please reach out. I'd be happy to hear from you. Very answer any questions or provide any resources I can. Very cool. I'll put that information in the show notes so it's easy for them to find. So I got one last question for you and it goes like this. Um, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? And if so, who was it? And what would you, uh, what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Gosh, I, that's a hard question, Steve. I have so, so many. Um, I, I, I started out by kind of sharing the impact that my dad had on me and, and shaping my career. But I want to say that my mom is probably the most amazing teacher I've had. She, she, um, she raised, I'm one of five children. Um, and she was, um, she had 20 jobs. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she was a gardener. She was canning vegetables. She, um, she sewed clothes for us. She was a master. She is a master baker. She was a chef. She was the doctor. We all got hurt. She was a lawyer. I mean, gosh, she was a, you know, you hear, she, she had 20 jobs and she did all of them just amazingly. And, um, she, both my parents are just huge inspirations for me. I think the fact that she, you know, she too, like my dad taught me, you know, to, to, to do, um, you know, and how to do, how to do for yourself and how to, how to, you know, be kind of, you know, uh, self-sufficient, how to craft things. And also she, um, Gosh, uh, we, I was grew up in kind of a small town outside of Milwaukee, um, but she was such a pillar of the community, volunteering at church. She volunteers at schools, still teaching kids to read, um, volunteering at, um, you know, at um, Alzheimer's places. And, and just, you know, she really, um, she just, her, her, uh, her community, <laughs> the importance of community to her, you know, was really instilled in all of us. and. Um, I, uh, yeah, my parents are, are probably, um, my most formative teachers, but I do have a lot of other teachers. I think I've, I've, I feel so fortunate, um, in my life to just have had, you know, and, and I think even today I'm like a lifelong learner. So I, I, I learned from, from everyone. I, I still, you know, as long as I've been doing this, Steve, I, I learn every day. I'm like, wow, this is something new. Very and, cool. you know, I, I learn from our younger staff and, um, you know, uh, their teaching goes, goes both ways. So, um, and, and, you know, the environment is, uh, often called our third teacher, you know, the third teacher in school environments. And, um, you know, I think, uh, the environment is always something that always, you know, should be teaching us a lot about what <laughs> as well every day. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, try to wrap that up in a nutshell, but it's pretty expansive. <laughs> oh, good. I'm very grateful uh, to have had so many wonderful teachers and um, and on a daily basis still. And I, I loved I loved learning from you today. I loved uh, the conversation we had. So I, I so appreciate what you're doing, Steve. And um, I look forward to to learning more. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Mary. This has been awesome. I, I, thanks so much for talking with me. It was awesome talking with you about modern school design needs and trends to keep in mind, which is really. Really cool, and uh, I'm wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you. Likewise, it was a pleasure.
Thank you so much, Steve. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.